Hey everybody, I have a very exciting uh, discussion today. I'm with Guido Vandrunen, and we're gonna be talking a little bit about fraud, forensic investigations, and Guido is one of those guys that's been on both sides of the fence here. And so we're gonna get in and we're gonna talk about some of the kind of some of the mistakes that sometimes people make and how to avoid those so that these investigations go exactly the way they need to. So with that, we're gonna get into it right now. Hi, I'm Jason Mefford, and you're in the right place to start transforming your career and life with this podcast. I've been in the trenches as an executive leader, and now I'm an executive coach and confidential advisor to executives all over the world. I use a multidisciplinary approach to improve learning that drives transformation by getting to the root cause in a practical, no-nonsense way. I love learning and sharing what makes people tick. You get both education and entertainment, since learning shouldn't be boring, right? But that's enough about me. This podcast is a combination of intuitive leadership, neural influence, and mental mastery to take your career and life to levels you've never thought possible. If you're wanting to improve yourself, develop stronger relationships professionally and personally, make quicker, better decisions, and become a more effective leader, then of course, this podcast is for you because you are going to learn how to manage emotions in yourself and others, avoid burnout, stress, and anxiety, master your mind, get people to listen and take action, and become a lifelong learner. And when you do that, you will have a positive mental attitude, executive leadership presence, and the skills to know exactly what to say and do in any situation. I'm glad you're here. So, let's get started. Hey, hey, hey Jason. Uh, hey. How good you doing, to see man? you. I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm good. Hey, well, hey, you said you said both sides of the fence. I, I've even sat on the middle of the fence. So. Oh, you've been on the middle of the fence. <laughs> so I'm there a fence go. sitter as well. So just so you know. <laughs> and while usually sitting on the fence is not a good thing, I'm sure it's been yeah. for you. For you. <laughs> I love that we're going to have fun today too. So, yeah. well, you know, maybe just for people that, that that don't know you, because you do, you've had some great experience. You've seen a lot of the different sides of this which I think provides a great um, context for people to be able to understand how to do this. Cause you know, as you and I have talked, sometimes very well-meaning people just screw stuff up. And, and so, you know, we'll, we'll try to go through, talk about some of the, the good things, the bad things, and just kind of help people so that they don't have investigations that go sideways on them, uh, which, which sometimes happens, so. Yeah, you know, ha- happy to help. And, and just by way of background, I mean, I retired about uh, a month and a half ago. I'm still finding my feet on that front. Um, <laughs> before that, I was with KPMG. I was a partner with KPMG in their forensics practice. And then before that, I worked in industry um, where I helped a Fortune 50 company set up their global investigations group and worked very closely with uh, all aspects throughout the organization. Um, you know, investigating fraud and financial waste and abuse. And before that, I was in law enforcement. Um, you know, I, I worked in the customs department in the Netherlands, and then I worked in the criminal investigation branch in New Zealand for a number of years. 
Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do investigations on every single continent except Antarctica. And I, I did get close once. Um, yeah, to being able to go down there for something. <laughs> yes, but, but you know, it, it, Operation Deep Freeze was not um, necessarily uh, something that took place. So I'm, I'm happy to share anything that would, um, you know, further help our internal audit brethren, you know, enhance their practice, what they do, and, and anything that can keep people out of trouble and, and prevent them from making some of the mistakes that I've made over the years. You know, this is all about sharing. Yeah. Well, and, and I love that you do have that background. You've got the law enforcement background, which again, some of the people in forensics do, some don't, right? But, but again, having that gives you a different context, a different feel for it. You know, you've been, you know, from the from the consulting or the the outside external party standpoint, but like you said, you also helped a Fortune 50 company set everything up and do stuff, and so so you understand too. You know, again, whether whether internal audit is responsible for investigations or not, right? And we'll talk a little bit about that because there's there's kind of some differences there. But how can they work good with these other groups of experts, whether they're internal? Um, or external as well, right? So, so maybe we can maybe we can kind of go there first, and then and then we can get into some of the things that 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 are some of those things to just be careful of, right? Um, yeah. At the end, so I know I know for example, you know when you when you set up um, the forensic group there at the Fortune 50 company, right? I was trying to remember were you guys separate? You were, you guys were separate from internal audit, I think. In, in well, I, I had a uh, I had a direct reporting line to the uh, to the VP of internal audit. Okay. Um, but we were a separate group, uh, separate P and L, um, and I had my own separate team um, for a variety of different reasons. Right. One is you know internal audit skill sets and forensic skill sets while they overlap, are still a little bit different, um, <laughs> you know, and, and some people don't like to do this kind of forensic or investigative work, and some people thrive on it. So that's one area. The other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of the information that we dealt with was, you know, it related to um, patents or, or um, trade secrets or related to some very sensitive matters that, you know, could cause a company some significant issues. And you don't want that to be just part of the internal audit server or network that everybody has access to it. And then there was privilege concerns, which we can talk a little bit about later on as well. So on the one hand, um, I had the support and full support of the internal audit group, the CFO, um, et cetera. But on the other hand, we, you know, you have to wall that off in relation to some of the things that you're working on simply because of confidentiality and privilege issues. Well, and I think that's great. That's, that's a good point because, you know, again, everybody that's listening is going to be in a different situation, right? Some people it's going to be included more integrated under internal audit. Some it's going to be a completely separate function might report up through general counsel instead of internal audit. But, but I, but I like what you did there too, because even though you reported up through internal audit, you had a separate group so you could keep those competences right which is important but i think the other thing too that i always tried to do you know when i was working is i, I didn't want people in the business wondering what was happening when somebody showed up right so so for example you know if you show up then it's like hey we're doing an investigation right if somebody from the audit team shows up hey we're doing an internal audit um, and so having uh, kind of a difference in the groups 
helps so that as well, the business kind of knows what to expect when you show up. And it helps internal audit as well, right? Because as you rightly point out, it's like, oh, this is internal audit. It's not an investigation. Everybody didn't start to sweat, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that, that's, that's a helpful component as well. The, the, other, the other thing is, is that, you know, there's not really a right way or a wrong way as to where you put this particular designated skill set. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've seen it housed in the physical security group. I've seen it housed in the ethics and compliance group. I've seen it housed under internal audit. The, the, the key thing here, though, is, is that you have to be careful that you don't ever get into the situation where you become the judge, jury, and executioner. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's something that, you know, it, I mean, if you look at it from a, um, a law enforcement perspective, I mean, you know, you, you, you generally see okay, you've got the police department here, and then you've got the prosecutor here. You've mm -hmm. got the, you know, the FBI here, you've got the DOJ here, right? So, so the one is the investigative arm, and the other is the arm that decides whether or not this goes ahead. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, they work closely together, um, clearly, but, you know, clearly you have to be guided by the facts, right? Um, and, and quite often when we're doing investigations, um, you know, it, it can be hard to, to maintain um, a very neutral approach, but, you know, it's at your own risk if you ignore exculpatory evidence, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it's, we are the people that gather the facts and we report on the facts and they could be good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but, but you can't just say, well, you know, I think we got to get rid of Fred. So let's just find everything negative and ignore everything else that he did and sweep that under the rug and then just come up with a, an answer. I mean, you have to be impartial, unbiased. And, and frankly, you know, your report needs to be able to stand the scrutiny of both people within the organization and external to the organization. In, it, it needs to be unbiased. It needs to be factual. Yeah. Well, and I think that that point that you made, you don't want to be the judge, the jury and the executioner, right? Those are all different roles. And so again, like you said, every organization is probably going to be a little different as to where these people report, but that's why usually there's some, I, I usually call it like an adjudication matrix or some, some way of others in the organization kind of validating, confirming, yep, this is the way that we need to go as well, right? So, so a lot of times, like at one, one of my companies, that was HR legal and internal audit, right? And so all three of us were working closely together. Okay, this is something that HR needs to investigate. Nope, this is something that internal audit is going to investigate, right? And, and, and so you assign that investigation out, but then you report and you come back to that group and say, okay, this is what we found. What do you think we need to do next? Okay, now we need to, bah, 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 right? Because you don't want one person kind of doing or making all of those decisions, right? You know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I can give you an example in South Africa, uh, and this is many years ago. I don't know if this if this methodology still applies or not. But um, if people were unionized, and some of them were, mm -hmm. then um, you know, as the investigator, you were required to go into what they call a tribunal, um, and they would have you know the plant management sitting there. They would have the um, you know, for want of a better word, the person who has been um, alleged to have done something wrong sitting sitting there you would go in present what you found present your facts and give them your report and then you were out of there 
And then later on, you would hear what the tribunal had decided from a union perspective as to whether or not the person stayed or went or what the disciplinary action was going to be. And, and so that's maybe an extreme example, but that, that shows you how they, they actually, you know, tried to prevent the, the investigator from pushing their barrow, for want of a better word. Well, that's a great way to think about it too, right? Because again, you know, and, and that's maybe something for us to keep in mind too, is we're not the one who's going to be the judge or the executioner, right? We're just kind of, we're, we're investigating, we're providing the information, right? Then it's usually up to, like you said, a tribunal, maybe it's up to senior management, maybe it's up to the board, depending on your organization, right? Right. Exactly. Is, is going to be different. And I know, I know kind of that was the case, you know, with me several times, like I remember one of them that we did that, you know, we reported back to the CEO and the CEO said, okay, those two people are gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's my decision. We're going to fire them. Right. And so I, I got to be the messenger to go back to these people's, you know, bosses and say, um, you know, we just found this. CEO says they got to be fired. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. We can't do that. You're, you're blowing this out of proportion. I'm like, that's yeah. what the CEO said. Well, I'm not going to do that. There are top salespeople. We can't get rid of them. Uh, that was exactly <laughs> who it was, right? So, yeah. so one of them, they had just been promoted to a new position. We just made all of these public announcements about it. And, um, and so that was the thing. No, I'm not going to fire this person. So again, not my call, not my call. So I just went back to the CEO and said, hey, I just talked to this VP and this is what he said. The CEO said, don't worry, I'm on the corporate jet with him this afternoon. Before we land, it will be taken care of, right? Because again, it wasn't, I was just reporting on what we found. It was up to the CEO to decide what was going to happen. Right. And, and that's where that whole tone at the top thing is, is always so important, right? Because it's not just the tone at the top, because... It, it's also the tone from the top that matters, yeah. right? I mean, how do you know what's at the top actually goes all the way down to the bowels of the organization, right? And it's that that's always the hard part, right? And, and you know, the, the thing is, um, you know, and particularly from an investigator's perspective, if you do a good job investigating something, you provide all the facts and everything like that, everybody's gonna forget what you did in about two weeks and, you know, attaboy onwards. But if you make a mistake, oh, they're going to remember that forever. That that does not go away, yeah. and that's something you've got to be very, very careful of because it can impact your career. It can impact somebody else's career. Um, and look, we're all going to make mistakes. The the question is is how do we mitigate that risk and how do we how do we minimize the impact of that? And 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 frankly, you know, in today's environment, what what I'm seeing more and more of is that you know, investigations are not just done by one set of skills. I mean, it, you, you need to have multidisciplinary skills. I mean, there's a, there's a legal component, there's an HR component, there's a, a physical security component, there's a, um, um, an IT component. And, and that's just, you know, just shaking those out. And, and, and at some point in time, you know, if you're doing IP theft work or something like that, you're going to need somebody who's skilled in the IP space to support you, right? So nobody can know everything. So you're going to have to be able to have those trusted relationships that you can bring into certain situations to help you get to the end point. Um, and, and, and frankly, um, you know, not utilizing that skill set um, can, can let you 
create all kinds of problems, right? So suppose, suppose you go and full steam ahead and do the interview and this, that, and the other, and the physical security team doesn't know and the guy goes postal, and you're in right? Trouble. You're in trouble, right? So, you know, you, you, you have to coordinate at the same time, you know, it, it shouldn't be a free for all that every man and his dog is involved with looking at what Fred <laughs> Smith did, right? right? So there's there's this balance, this whole yin and yang that you have to go through. Well, and that's why it seems like, you know, again, in my experience, and that's why I'll just see if it's your experience too. But, you know, the fact is we can't, we can't necessarily anticipate everything, right? Because you don't know, especially when you start investigating something, you don't know where it's going to end up going, right? There's twists and turns throughout the whole thing. But, but we do need to kind of have some ground rules set up in advance, right? So that we know, okay, you know, we've got to have the relationships with these other groups, whether that be internal or external resources that we might need. And so then as we get into it, then we can start making those decisions and kind of follow that protocol that's been set up beforehand, right? I mean, to me, that, that's, that's one of the more important things because it has that consistency to it, right? To make sure that, because what you don't want is to do investigations in an ad hoc manner and then have people afterwards come back and sue you for discriminatory you know uh, termination or other stuff like that because you didn't, you didn't follow, follow what you're normally supposed to do right so so i would i would um first of all i wholeheartedly agree um what i what i see and what i've seen more and more of is, is two things one is um most organizations now have some kind of, you know, the larger fortune, fortune 500 have what they would call an investigative process, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. If, if X happens, break glass, take out my little sheet and, and go through the little steps that I have to go through to determine what I need to do. So that's, that's the process side of it. And I think that's, that's, that's very, very important. Um, now, we shouldn't necessarily, you know, become a slave to the process, right? I mean, I've, right. I've trained a lot of investigators and, you know, it's like, do you have any children? No. What are their ages? Right. I mean, you, you've, you've got you've <laughs> yeah, to you skip the next question. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You, you shouldn't just go down the list. Right. So that's one. The other thing that I think is is becoming more prevalent is what I call it. You know, I've heard it called a variety of different things, but it's called an investigator code of conduct. And mm -hmm. and what they do with that is they kind of say, OK, from an investigative perspective and an organizational perspective, what are we um, allowing our investigators to do, right? You know, for, for example, you know, 15, 20 years ago, people would just go and do pretext calls, right? That, that's, that's just not on anymore, right? That's, that's a no-no. It shouldn't be done. You know? well, and can you just explain that, that concept too? to people oh, of what that actually is. Yeah, you, you pretend that you're somebody that you're not and you have a pretext for calling somebody to get information that you're really not entitled to have, yeah. right? And so, you know, it, it, you call them on a pretext, which is, you know, pie in the sky reached up and, 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 and then try to get information out of them that you would normally not be able to get, right? So, so there's because effectively you're tricking the person into telling you stuff because you're misrepresenting yourself. And, right. right? Yeah. Right. And that's, that's not, you know, so there's that, you know, you know, the other thing is, and, and, you know, people will say, well, this doesn't happen. Well, frankly, it has happened where, it, you know, you can't say, well, we're going to interview you and, 
you're not leaving here until you tell us everything. And, <laughs> like and, all the TV shows, right? Shine the light yeah. on them, you know? Yeah, and, 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 and guys, you know, you can't, that, that's, you know, that's imprisonment. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you, know you, you, you can't do that. Um, and, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, people always say, well, law enforcement has all this power. And, and I'm like, actually, as a corporate investigator, you, you have as much, if not more, I, you know, look, if, if you don't want to cooperate with me on this inquiry, that's fine. I can't make you cooperate. Um, you know, you're free to leave whenever you want, but I do have to report back that, you know, what the findings of my investigation were. And if you refuse to cooperate, the code of conduct says that if you don't cooperate with a corporate investigation, there could be serious ramifications up to and including termination. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a much bigger stick than somebody saying, I'm going to give you a search warrant. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing with somebody's livelihood here. And, and so that's, that's pretty significant. And so, you know, the incentive, and I would say in 98% of the cases that I've worked on, people have been extremely cooperative. Mm-hmm. And, and generally, if they're not cooperative, senior management is like, well, they're not helping? No. Well, then we don't want them here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because there, there, there tends to be. I mean, again, it's, it's not innocent until proven guilty. But again, in my experience, the people that don't want to participate or that make it difficult, it's usually because they have something to hide. Right. Most most of the people want to want to participate. They're they're fine to try to help out. Um, and so, yeah, you know, again, management can say, look, if they're not going to cooperate on this, then we're just not going to have them. Well, and, and, you know, take that a step further. Right. I mean, if, if you're talking about, for example, let's say an FCPA violation or a, an ITAR violation and the person doesn't want to participate and, and help get to the bottom of it. And you have to make a voluntary disclosure to a regulator and say, well, this guy didn't really want to help us, but we promoted him anyway. Um, you know, the regu- <laughs> it's not going to be good. <laughs> the, the regulator is going to say, uh, wait a minute, you've got a problem here with your compliance program, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's most people will will cooperate. Everybody generally wants to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good. So that's so that's a little bit, you know, kind of from from that side. Maybe let's switch gears a little bit, because I know that, you know, again, what I found often is. especially in smaller or mid-sized companies where you don't have the benefit of having that internal investigation group. Maybe you don't have a strong internal counsel group, right? Either necessarily. A lot of times these responsibilities kind of fall back to internal audit or, or some group like that. Right. And, and again, you know, you look at something like the IIA standards, we don't have to be a fraud expert, blah, 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 blah. We just have to know enough. Right. But, but I know, you know, sometimes it it, it seems like, and I've seen this over my career where well-meaning people (laughs) go in, they try to do something because they're the only one in town effectively but they end up doing some things that really kind of jeopardize the whole integrity of the investigation, of the, process. Of the investigation process, right? Yeah. So, so what are what are some of the things? That's that's why I wanted to kind of get in with you about. Hey, what's what's probably okay for you to do, but some of the things to just be aware of and know when you need help 
and when and who to kind of reach out for that help. Um, because again, like I said, I've seen so many people kind of get sideways on stuff that, you know, what can we help them? What are some, kind of some red yeah. flags, if you will, so they don't go down a path um, that ends up negatively affecting their career too, right? Because right. like you said, you screw something up, you screw it up bad enough, it comes back to you on your career as well. So, so a couple things. One is, you know, I, I would, um, if you're dealing with something that's going to have regulatory implications, look, if you're the victim of somebody, let's say somebody stole all the money out of a, out of the donation jar in the lunchroom, right? And you, you know, you're, you're asked to look at the camera to see what happened, this, that, and the other, you know, that that's not going to, barring that it's the CEO, um, you know, that's not going to necessarily make or break the company, right? But, but if, if you're dealing with something like, a, you know, a, an FCPA violation, an ITAR violation, or um, something that, you know, is going to have serious regulatory implications for the organization, you know, it's crucial to have legal involved with that and to have that particular type of investigation, um, what I would say, cloaked in privilege. Right. And, and for a variety of different reasons, because you want to be able to have you're, you're, you're probably going to waive that privilege when you go make a disclosure to the regulator. But you want to be able to, to be the organization that controls that decision or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, let, let's say you start something out as a simple travel travel expense reporting fraud. And then you notice that, wait a minute, he's taking out cash and he's giving it to, you know, the the. The, Mad- the Madagascar customs official to get his product into the country, you, you really want to make sure something like that gets cloaked in privilege as quickly as possible. So that's that's one area you want to be very careful of because those regulatory implications can be huge. Now, whether that's internal privilege or external privilege, that's something the organization will have to decide. Um, you know, in in the EU, internal privilege doesn't exist, right? If you don't have external counsel, you're not going to have the benefit of that privilege. So again, it's going to depend on where you are, what's going on, who's involved, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that's, that's one aspect. Um, you know, the, the other thing is it's really hard to know what you don't know. And if, if you're looking at something, um, you know, I, I mentioned Madagascar. Now, I, I think what's primarily spoken there is French. If you're looking at all the documentation there and you don't speak French, you know, you're going to go off the rails here and you need to have somebody who understands what's going on, right? So it, it's, it's, it's not getting into places. You don't necessarily have to be comfortable with where you are, but you need to be comfortable with the people that are supporting you getting through where you are. So language skills, if you don't have those, you better make sure you get them on your team. And it, it can't be Google Translate. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's not going to um, work. <laughs> but you'd be surprised at how many people are relying on that, right? So that's, that's another aspect. You know, the, 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 other, the other area you can get into trouble on, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to use the word forensic, and there was a forensic, forensic. And basically, forensic just means to be used in a court of law. So you've got to look at what you're doing here and saying, at some point, I could be sitting in the witness box here having to testify about this. And can I answer all the questions that people are going to throw at me? So, you know, if, if, if you rely on your internal IT people to collect your data 
that you're going to be using to support what your what your um, assertions may or may not be, you better understand that they know how to forensically collect that data so that they're not going to be subject to criticism. Because if, if you don't have a complete set of data because they didn't collect it correctly, it's going to be on your head, right? So, so that's another area where you want to make sure that you're, that you're covered. The, the, other, the other area is, you know, HR is another area of huge risk. I mean, for example, in, in places like, and, and again, I'm speaking from a long time ago, but, um, you know, I can remember I did, did some work in relation to a matter in Greece, and we could not terminate anybody in Greece until we got a criminal conviction. Now, the criminal conviction process would take two to three years. So, you know, how, how do you deal with something like that from an HR perspective? You know, we got to fire this guy. Well, so, well we can't, <laughs> you know, so you, you've got to understand that in all these jurisdictions, there's different employment laws. And for example, whistleblower anonymity does not necessarily exist in every places. single jurisdiction, right? Yeah. Yep. And those are all things that can really impact your investigation. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we talked a little bit about process. You know, if you deviate from the process, you know, document, document, document. I know, I know attorneys don't like um, <laughs> you to document some of this stuff, but, you know, the reason I deviated from this process was because of X and I discussed it with Y, Z and, and G and they agreed and counsel agreed as well. And that's why counsel doesn't like to see that written down because I won't, <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> they don't want to be up for that. Because I put their well, name and they, and, they and they don't want anything that could be potentially discoverable too, right? Correct. Right. Yeah, we... So, so those those are some of the pitfalls, and and then you know some of the things that I've seen is you know don't look. It it can be very very hard when you know that the VP of you know the supply chain doesn't like this guy, right? And, and he wants to get rid of him and he's using this as a lever to get rid of him. Now, if the person had, maybe he doesn't like him because he does stuff wrong and he just hasn't been caught. But if he just doesn't like him, don't be used as management's tool to affect something that they should affect through the normal um, evaluation process and, and, and feedback process, right? Don't, don't say, well, you know what? Um, he was late on his expense report. We're going to ding him and we're going to fire him. That's, that, that's, a, that's a management not following up on their, you know, people management responsibilities. And don't, you know, if, if some, somebody's doing something wrong, either in violation of the code of conduct or in violation of some statutory requirement, that's a violation. Look at it. But if you're getting if you're getting into, um, well, he, he put his timesheet in late. Management should be dealing with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So don't let the investigation supplant what management should be doing from a corrective discipline standpoint. Anyway. Correct. Yeah. Well, no, and, it, and it's good. So, I mean, you, you've already kind of thrown out, you know, some some good kind of rules of thumb. Right. Is if Hey, if, if you're coming in, you think there's going to be some regulatory or governmental impact, right? Like you have to disclose or you may be subject to a fine or penalty because of some action that should be triggering the bells in your head to say, mm, just a minute, maybe I probably need some extra help with this, right? Yep. Um, if you feel like it's going to end up in court, 
some way, right? So to where, you know, we need to not only just investigate this, but it really needs to be done as a forensic investigation, because a lot of what we're doing is going to be used as evidence in court, which again, that's a totally different animal than what we would normally document, right? For our, for a normal audit. Absolutely. And the things that you're doing, you know, those are all kind of different. You know, the other one that I, that I usually kind of think about too is, if it's maybe it doesn't have a regulatory impact, but if it has a significant reputational impact, right? Like, absolutely. Like, like I'll give you an example, right? So we had um, ethics and compliance rolled up under me. So the hotline was one of the things that I would I would get copied on, right? Well, if not that this ever happened, right? But if a complaint comes in about the CEO even though I am qualified to probably do the investigation, there's no way in hell that I'm going to do that investigation, right? Because it doesn't matter, you know, whether the person's completely exonerated or not, I'm going to be the one that's going to be on the, going to have all the fingers pointed at me as well, right? So again, I look at it kind of too, and I'll see if this has been your experience, but if there's kind of some internal or external political things associated with it, that might be a good time to bring in somebody else as well, right? Uh, I, I think that that cuts both ways as well, right? I think that's I think that's spot on because the other thing is if I'm the CEO and there's an allegation against me, I don't want somebody that reports, maybe not directly, but ultimately reports up to me to say, well, he didn't do it because mm-hmm. they're going to say, yeah, right, it's your guy, right? So, mm-hmm. so you know, frankly, if I'm the CEO and, 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 and somebody calls in the hotline and says, well, I did X, Y, and Z, and I was drinking and driving on this night, this, that, and the other, it's like, you know what? I want somebody independent to come and just debunk this yeah. because I want to be able to actually um, make sure that it's not something that I end up having to uh, deal with from that perspective, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's good. Yeah, because like you said, it's it's both ways, right? I mean, the executive should want something external to be done as well, right? Because if there's nothing wrong, then again, the evidence from that should show and again, not be influenced. It's right. more unbiased if it's coming from somebody outside the organization. Absolutely correct. And it, it's, it's, it's crucial to have that. And, and, you know, we get into this independence issue at times to some extent, right? I mean, you know, auditor independence has been, well, how long has that debate been going on? Since Roman times, right? Since Roman times, right? And so, you know, in the independent investigations, um, you know, are you hired by the board? Are you hired by the company? And, and, and so sometimes I step away from the independence issue and just say, is it objective? Yeah. Right. Because, you know, is this objective is, is what's been done here objective. And, and, you know, you can pretty quickly determine whether or not an investigation was thorough and objective or not. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think is, is, is really hard is for people to recuse themselves from saying, you know what, I don't feel like I can do this because I've got too much skin in the game here. And that's, you know, people always try to shoehorn it in there. And, you know, th- this comes back to two, two key issues that I've always identified is one is benchmark drives behavior. And do you have alignment of interests? 
you know, as, as an investigator working for a big four firm or for a legal firm, you know, are your interests necessarily always aligned? And, and you know, I, I like to think that I did a good job, but I, I get judged on very different criteria than, for example, somebody who's internal, right? I mean, the people mm-hmm. looking over my shoulder are saying, is he generating enough revenue and doing a quality job in that process. Whereas internally, that's a very different metric. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to keep all that in mind. And, and that's why I think alignment of interest and benchmark driving behavior always have to be in your mind as to when you're doing this work or this type of work. Well, and that interest you're aligned, that kind of goes back to our judge, jury, executioner kind of thing too, right? So again, when you when you think about it in, in theory, right? Like with law enforcement, the police, you know, whoever the investigator is in theory, right? They have nothing to do with the person. They don't, you know, unless you're a small town, you know, country sheriff, you, you probably don't know the people that you're investigating or that you're doing stuff about, right? Which is, which is better because again, then you're not influenced right as to as to what the facts actually are oh you know you know like you said you know maybe it's a dui or whatever oh you know guido's a nice guy i'm sure he's i'm sure he's below 0.08 we just won't even give him the give him the breathalyzer right because we we know he wouldn't drive drunk he's a good guy right well that would not be objective it would not be necessarily following the investigation protocols and so again that's when you end up getting in, in trouble right that's, that's, that's a really, really, really good point. And, and, you know, one, one of the things, you know, we're all human beings, right? And, and, you know, when, when, when we're hiring these external law firms on these, on these large matters that relate to regulatory issues, everybody seems to be running to hire people. Well, he worked on the Siemens case, or he worked on this case where they were fined 500 million. And so, you know, you have to wonder, um, you know, are, are these individuals actually looking to have the highest possible fine to increase their, you know, it's, it's, it's a question <laughs> you have to ask, right? Yeah. Now, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that that's the case, but that perception could exist, right? And, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen officers sitting around afterwards um, saying, well, what'd your guy get? Uh, my guy got seven years. Well, my guy got 10 years. Right, right. So, you know, there's, there, you know, we're all human beings and we have to be very, very careful. You know, it's, 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 it's like, that might not be, a, I'll, I'll tell you right now, there is no written benchmark for the DOJ, for any law enforcement organization. Well, if you get people to get more than 10 years, you get a, a gold You star. get a bonus. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not happening. But, but people keep score in their own mind, right? Yeah, they do. And, and so there, there's, there's, a, there's just a, this inherent danger that you need to be aware of that, you know, it's like, oh, I've completed 17 cases and I got 17 confessions. Um, well, okay, well, congratulations, but how did you get those confessions? You know, you know yeah. it, it, it's, we, we have to be, there's a reason I'm saying that there should be an investigator code of conduct and a process, right? There well, ha- it, everybody needs guardrails. <laughs> Well, yeah, we do need the guardrails. And it's, it's interesting because as you, as you bring that up, right, is it's like, you know, and again, at first, maybe, you know, the first 15 uh, confessions, you know, it's not a big deal. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, holy shit, I just got 15 confessions. 
next time it comes, right? It's like, oh, I got to get the 16th one. Oh, I got to get the 17th one, right? Does our behavior actually change as a result of that, even though we don't necessarily think that we're doing it? But I, but I think this, you know, this investigative code of conduct is, because we've seen some of this recently with law enforcement in general, right? There's been, there's been some atrocious things done in certain jurisdictions, other stuff like that. Now, people are coming back with effectively an investigative code of conduct, trying to change the rules of policing as well, just to make sure that everything stays fair, is transparent, is above board, so that we don't end up having things go sideways that shouldn't go sideways, right? Well, I, I and, and, you know, look, we're, we're dealing with, with human beings and, you know, regardless, and, and I've, I've dealt with some, some interesting individuals, shall we say. And, you know, regardless, they're, they're still human beings. And, you know, I, I don't want to go to the level that they've gone to, to get to where I want to go. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? It's great if you can solve a case, but if you've got to, if you've got to jeopardize everything that you've ever done to do that, you know, you got to wonder, is it, is it really worth it? You know what I mean? Oh, did you, uh, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of the show Billions. I don't know. Did you ever see the, the show Billions? No, oh, no. man. Yeah, it's prosecutor. And anyway, it's some of those lines probably get crossed, right, during during that show and, and probably do sometimes in real life as well, right? Yeah. And, and it's look, you know, it's it's the heat of the moment. Um, and, and, and that's why, you know, the, the good thing is, you know, wh- when you're doing white collar work, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's kind of nice, right? People call up and they'll say, Hey, um, you know, I, somebody called me up once and said, well, this is an emergency. And I'm like, if it's an emergency, you should be dialing 911. I mean, if it's urgent, I can help you. Right. But, you know, emergency, I'm not too sure about, but, you know, you know, white collar work is important. I mean, you know, we, we need to make sure that our organizations are, are clean and, 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 and stress-free and everything like that. But there's, there's some pretty bad things going on out there at the same time. And, you know, I, I would rather that, you know, the white collar work gets pushed back maybe a month or two so that somebody can solve a homicide, you know, as opposed to the other way around. But having said that, you know, the other thing is, is that if you look at, you know, if you look at law enforcement at a local level, um, they do not have the capability to handle fraud, waste and abuse, um, you know, even, even probably the most despicable of the lot is elder abuse. And there's, there's just not enough resources to deal with that. Yeah, there literally isn't. Well, and that's probably a good point to bring up too, because I I don't know what the numbers are currently, because I've I've been kind of out of out of that space for eight to 10 years now. But I, I know that was that was another thing that we always had to consider, right? As you're as you're thinking at the beginning, is this something that we turn over to law enforcement? Something that we would choose to prosecute, right? Because again, here in the U.S., you have the option to go after people civilly, as criminally. well as criminally, depending on the behavior, right? And so sometimes the organizations have to decide: well, do we just want to go after the person civilly? Or do we want to get the criminal conviction and then go after him civilly? Because usually you get more money that way. But um, but all of those things to try to consider. But again, like you said, uh, there there's kind of thresholds, and they 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 don't want to say what they are out loud. But 
but like you said, it's because they're trying to balance, law enforcement's trying to balance homicides and other violent crimes with white collar stuff. Um, but there are usually limits, right? And so again, if you think you want to turn something over to the FBI, you got to be talking tens of millions you know, of dollars exactly. before they're even going to have the bandwidth to look at you. Even local, you know, local PD, you know, again, it's probably got to be 50 grand or more before they're even going to be able to put in any effort, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of people that know what those thresholds are and they they you know victimize people just below the thresholds knowing that nobody's going to really come after me so uh, there's there's two components that come into that 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 i think are really important here jason one is some organizations actually have prosecution guidelines and what they mean by that is that okay if if these things occur then we are gonna give serious consideration to turn this over to law enforcement. And the reason they do that is they don't wanna just say, okay, well, we prosecuted the secretary, but we gave the VP of uh, finance a pass, right? Because then you get this whole arbitrary and capricious thing. So everybody gets gauged against the same metrics. So that's one. The, the other thing is if your organization chooses to uh, you know, turn matters over to law enforcement, um, particularly, you know, in my experience, um, and, and, and this, is, this is, you know, there's always some friction between the investigators and the attorneys, this, that, and the other. The attorneys always want to go straight to the, um, to the prosecutor because lawyers want to talk to lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. the, way I, the way I look at it is, is what you need to do is you need to put together a prosecution file with a bow around it with basically you know, on day one, this happened, day two, and everything cross-referenced, you bring it over to the police department and they look at that and they say, hey, this is a conviction and a clearance rate for me. Um, I'm going to call this guy up. If he wants to come and talk to me, that's great. If not, I can carry it over to the prosecutor and he'll shepherd it through because it's going to be one of, his, one of his stats, right? Back to benchmark drives behavior. And with, so, without him having to do all of the work, right? Which exactly. is why you got to show up with it with a bow around it. Because it's like, hey, if I've got to put in a, you know, hundreds of hours on this, I just it's don't not, have the time. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So if, if you give them a package with a, with a bow around it, they're going to love you. And, they're gonna, and then they're going to carry it over to the prosecutor's office. And they're going to push the prosecutor to go after it. right? But if you go around the police and then you, later on you ask them for help, they're like, you didn't come to me. I don't care. <laughs> you know? So yeah. you have you have to those are dynamics you have to be well aware of, right? I mean, sure, there's times where you want to go to the prosecutor and go directly, and and you know exceptions prove the rule. But if 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 you get law enforcement on your side, then then you go through that whole process like everybody else does. It it works nicely. Yeah. Well, no, this is this has been great stuff. I mean, I just kind of wanted to to summarize a little bit, you know, again to make sure because I'm sure people have been listening along and they're like, wow, this is really good stuff. So let's summarize a little bit and then kind of give people some some parting takeaway kind of stuff too right but you know talking about you know again with investigations fraud forensic type type work we need to have some sort of process put in place right we need to know who the players are we need to have things like this prosecution guidelines um you know deciding who who and what you know how how we're going to do the investigation whether to do it internally externally kind of have some rules of thumb and some some ways of making decisions because the facts and circumstances of everything are a little bit different right 
And that's why you want to get the heads together and go, yep, okay, it, it, it checks these five boxes. So this is the pathway we should go down, right? Um, that's probably, you know, probably one of the biggest things to help people, because if you don't know that, if you're just trying to go willy nilly on this, you're going to get yourself into trouble. I, I think that's absolutely correct. And, and, and I'll give you one additional tip. One thing I would suggest is that you would identify a law firm that's independent and a forensic accounting firm that's independent and get them with, on what they call an on-call arrangement. Um, not a retainer, doesn't cost you anything. You just say, okay, look, if we have investigative matters, we'd like to have you on call to be able to deal with those and lock in your rates um, at, because, you know, look, if, if, you, if you do that, people will say, sure, we would love to be, you know, on the hook for that. And we'll, you know, you get a partner for $400 an hour from an accounting perspective. Otherwise they're going to charge you $700 an hour when the, you know, if the body's on the gurney and bleeding, it's too late. Oh, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Time, time yeah. to negotiate is over at that point. Right. It's like, I need somebody, I got to do it. So if you can lock those, those, those agreements in and just renew them on an annual basis, that if you do have an event and you need to call on these people that you've already designated the people that are going to be helping you and you've designated the rates. Cause look, if, if you spend a thousand hours at $400 an hour or a thousand hours at $700 an hour, that's a, a that's a wee bit of a difference. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I know I'm slitting my, my consultant's throats here. Um, <laughs> but the, but the fact of the matter is, is if you can lock that in ahead of time um, you know, that's again, alignment of interests, right? Align your interests before you start, not after. Well, and that's such a great point too, because, you know, you don't want to lose time either, right? Because again, most of the time, time is of the essence in investigation. So you don't want to have to spend a month trying to interview or find a law firm or a forensic group to help you. You just want to be able to pick up the phone and go, hey, Guido, I got a problem. <laughs> Can you be yeah. in the office tomorrow? I'll brief you on it, you know, and, that, and, and let's get going, right? That, that's exactly right. You want to have your lawyers on call that way. You want to have your forensic accountants, forensic IT people on call that way as well. And so, um, you know, look, it, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have any problems because every investigation has a problem, right? I mean, if, you know, your job is at, in coordinating this or running point on this is to make order out of chaos, Right. And so there, there will be some problems. But look, the last thing you, you know, after it's all over and the dust settles, they say, well, why did we pay him that much? Well, because we had no choice. Right. Well, couldn't we have done this before? Right. And so, you know, I would suggest you, you know, you lock that in with whoever your trusted advisors might be. Now, be very careful because if you're also audited, you know, by a, you know, a big four or, or, or a second tier firm, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing an investigation and you're using, you know, counsel that you always use, they're going to say, well, how's that independent, right? I mean, you're representing, you know, you know what I mean? So you want to make sure you have independent counsel and, it, you know, obviously your auditors can't do the investigation, right? They're going to want to know what happened, yeah. but, um, you know, they're going to, you know, so manage that very, very discreetly and very carefully. Well, yeah, because actually too, it, it depends on, um, yeah, which again, we don't have time to get down into the rabbit hole, but, but the other issue is, is around, there is a whole independence check, you know, kind of thing at the beginning, because I worked with, when I was at Anderson, our forensic group did some work with them. And, and so again, it was like, you know, before we could accept a client, 
right? We had to see, okay, what was the, what was the, who's the, who's the lawsuit against, right? Who's yep. the client, right? Who's, who's the opposite side? Have we represented anybody that could have a conflict with either one of those, right? So we had to kind of clear ourselves before we could ever even accept the engagement. So like you said, having, having a separate group um, that doesn't do anything for you except this is going to help reduce <laughs> that, you know, uh, side yeah. of it as well. It's going to make life a lot easier for you. So I, sorry for interrupting there, Jason. I know you were kind of summarizing, but I thought I'd throw that out there because that's no. the way you can save a lot of money. Well, it is. That's, that's, that's a great idea. And I didn't know, I knew about the retainer. I didn't realize about the on-call side of it. So that's a great tip for people. You're not, you're not spending, a re, you're not paying a retainer, but you've just agreed to an on-call kind of thing. So everything's set up. All you got to do is give them a call. Pick up the phone. To go. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So we kind of talked about that side. And then also, you know, again, kind of from, from the internal side, what, you know, the kinds of things, again, that when do you need help? <laughs> And, and, you know, again, I think some of the things we talked about, hey, if it's, if it's going to have some potential regulatory or governmental impact, i.e. you could get fined for this because maybe you're, you're doing something that's illegal, could have a serious reputational risk either in the market or within your industry because maybe it relates to executives, right, as an example. Right. Um, or, you know, again, if you feel like whatever the result of the investigation may end up in court, you probably, if you got any of those three, you probably don't want to do it by yourself. You probably want to help bring in, at that point, probably external people um, to be able to help out because, again, the risk level of that just goes up and you've got to make sure that all those I's are dotted and T's are crossed um, when you get into that kind of a space. And that doesn't mean that you can't work in tandem with those people. Right. I mean, you know, there, there's there's different shades of, of gray. Right. I mean, you could you could say, OK, we want you to do the whole thing. Um, we want you to do this part of it. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to depend on the particular facts and circumstances of the case as to whether or not your information can be relied on. So, you know, the other thing that you've got to remember is that being internal to the company, you know how the gears are intertwined and who knows who and what's where. When I come into a, an organization that I've never been in before, it's like, so where do they keep that information? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and and so I, I got to go hunt and peck. But if I've got somebody on my team who's in that organization, they don't have to hunt and peck. They say, oh, you want that? Let's go over here. You want that? Let's go over here. Right. So, so there's, you know, you you've got to find that balance where you don't necessarily impact independence, objectivity to the point of, well, we're gonna spend an extra million dollars because we don't, we don't want anybody else involved, right? And so that's, that's kind of a, another something you'd have to take under consideration. Yeah, which kind of goes back to, again, that idea of, well, who do we need on the team? What, what's the expertise that we need? Do we need language skills? Do we need maybe some particular regulatory expertise like AML? Do we need, right? And, and again, you're not going to know until you start getting into it. But if you thought about some of those things beforehand, at least you have an idea of where you need to go or who you need to as assemble to be able to get the right team. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Spot on. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I always love geeking out about this stuff. And man, it reminds me of 
Ooh, days gone past. <laughs> well, well, look, you know, look, I'm happy to deal with, you know, if, if you have any questions or anything like that, look, I'm retired. I'm just happy. Yeah, so you got time on your hands, right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm happy to help people out and, and, and just, uh, you know, look, it, it's worth what my, my wisdom is worth what you pay for it. Um, but, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, it, it's, if, if I can save people from making mistakes that I've made, then everybody wins. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Cause like you said, you and I have seen people make mistakes. We've made mistakes. Don't want them to keep making the same kind of mistakes. Right. right. I mean, look, show me somebody who hasn't made any mistakes and I'll show you somebody who's never done anything. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is if they keep making the same mistake over and over again, right? then you so got a problem. That's, that's a different issue. So <laughs> that's a different issue. Yeah, that's a different issue. All right. Well, well, appreciate the opportunity, Jason. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you enjoyed the most about the podcast. And you may even be featured on a future episode. When you're ready to turbocharge your leadership development, join the Briefing Leadership Program where you get access to everything in one place and can interact directly with me in the group. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy's video on-demand learning platform at ondemand.criskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you will also have access to hundreds of video on-demand learning opportunities. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.